0: Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name with very grateful hearts. Because you have loved us with an everlasting love and with loving kindness, you have drawn us to yourself. We thank you for bringing us together in this place today because you want to receive our praise and worship. It's meaningful and precious to you. And you want to speak into our lives. And we want to hear your voice this morning, Father. We say to you we're not content just to hear the voice of the preacher. We want to hear the voice of the living God. As we listen, Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit will help me in my speaking and all of us in our responding to what you will say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I prefer, I think it's true to say to look at one particular passage of scripture when I'm preparing to preach and when I'm preaching. But this morning we're actually looking at three passages of scripture uh, because they, in one sense, could be said to belong together. We're going to read, first of all, a few verses from uh, the eleventh chapter of Matthew's Gospel at verse 22. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you noticed that an English person and a Scottish person will sometimes use different words to say the same thing? Some of you are English here this morning, yes. Um, well, have you ever heard a Scotsman say, I think I shall take the train to Euston next weekend and spend a weekend in London? I've never heard a Scotsman say that. What would a Scotsman say? He wouldn't say, I shall go. He'd say, I will go. Or abbreviated to, I'll go. Now what's the difference? Well, both are pointing to something in the future it could be the near future or the further away future but then to me at least, maybe not to you, but to me there's a kind of different emphasis in these two words I shall suggest desire, intention I plan to do this but I will suggest something a little bit stronger a little bit more mm, I'm determined to do this, I really want to do this maybe you don't agree with me that's alright But I don't find any places in the Bible, in the English translation of the Bible, where the Lord says, I shall. (laughs) He's not influenced by the English, obviously. Um, He says, I will. I will. And when he says, I will, come with a lie on his bringing to pass what he says he will do, of course we can. Because our God is a God of truth, he cannot lie. So... Here is our Lord Jesus using this word, this phrase, I will give. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take time to go back for a moment to the first book in the Bible, to the book of Genesis, and to God speaking to Abraham. Abraham was a key, key player, if we can use that word, in the whole outworking of God's purposes the Lord had said to Abram Genesis chapter 12 leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you notice the I wills I will show you a new land I will make you into a great nation He was simply a family man with his family, that was it. But he was told he would multiply, his clan, if you like, would multiply and become a great nation. And the Lord said these wonderful words to him, I will bless you. These words are music in my ears. I hope they're music in your ears too. When God says to me, I will bless you. Ooh, yes, as much as I can take. I want to have it, Lord. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing, etc. Move forward to chapter 17 for a moment. Still Abraham. When Abraham was 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you. I will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant. with you, you'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. You your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father I will make you you a father of many nations I will make you very fruitful I will, I will, I will God stating clearly and simply what he planned and intended and desired to do for Abraham and through Abraham but back to Matthew 11 our Lord Jesus said these words and they've become very very well known come to me and I will give you rest and we could say like a good preacher he had a text, oh what do you mean by that Sandy, well if we go back to Jeremiah chapter 6 we find a little verse tucked away there and here it reads like this verse 16 this is what the Lord says stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask for the good way is and walk in it all good advice when we're faced with a choice and have to make a decision and the Lord said you will find rest for your souls so Jeremiah wrote these words long before our Lord Jesus spoke them, you will find rest for your souls ah, go back again to Exodus this time (laughs) Exodus and Moses uh, is, is having a chat with the Lord and the Lord is saying, or Moses is saying to the Lord, I, You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If I found favor with you in your sight, teach me your ways, that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Mm. We live in a very, very restless world why is there so much restlessness in the world the short answer is because the majority of folk on planet earth unfortunately are still unforgiven sinners they do not know the living God as we know him through our Lord Jesus and they are restless for a variety of reasons, there is no peace to the wicked the Bible says, there is no peace to the wicked And I've read testimonies of Muslims coming to Jesus and and declaring afterwards, you know, I had a good life, I had a happy marriage, I had a good job, I had plenty of money, but the one thing I couldn't find was peace, peace, I was restless. Oh, oh yes. So it is a characteristic of unforgiven sinners, unsaved people, that they are restless. Of course, Christians can get restless at times too. It's normal to be restless up to a point, but some people who are Christians are more restless than they should be or need to be. Mm. I wonder why. Well, we shall see more as we go along. But you see, to have this rest that Jesus is talking about, there are conditions, there are conditions throughout life. Many, many things that we can have, we can have them on conditions. Certain conditions are fulfilled. And there are three conditions here. Because our Lord Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We don't get rest simply by reading the Bible. Take, for example, John chapter 5, where our Lord Jesus is speaking to some Jewish people and they were not showing any sign of being willing to come to him and trust him and accept him as the Messiah. And he says this to them in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But you see, a person could read the Bible for five hours every day for the rest of their life. Would that result in their having eternal life? No. We do not receive eternal life by simply reading God's word. These are the scriptures, said Jesus to these Jewish people, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. Ah yes, without coming to him, we do not have the blessings he wants to bestow on us. Turn over to chapter 6, and we find our Lord Jesus saying, ah, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, who comes to me, will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty spiritually. And he says this wonderful thing. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. If you have not yet come to the Lord Jesus in a personal, life-changing way... I want to encourage you to believe that promise of Jesus. All who come to me, I will never, never turn away. In other words, I'll accept them. Then again in chapter 7, again Jesus is talking about coming to him. He says, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant, says John, the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Again, it's come to me. Don't just talk about me. Don't just believe all the Bible says about me. Don't just think about me. Don't just pray to me. Come to me. Come to me. That's the first key. To know the blessing God wants to give us, there is no substitute for coming to Jesus. One of our great Scottish hymn writers, Horatius Bonner, wrote in his hymn, I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. We've got to come to him. Mm -hmm. But is that all? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Matthew chapter 11 again. Jesus said, Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I'm holding my arms in this position for a purpose, because that is the shape of a yoke. It brings two people, or two animals, together, and joins them together for the time being. The picture is usually given of two oxen, two cattle, beasts as we call them in farming circles in Scotland, pulling a plough. But to get to to working together, to go in the same direction, at the same speed, they have to be tied together. And what is tying them together is a wooden yoke. And it's often said that our Lord Jesus in the carpenter's shop at Nazareth when he was growing up would no doubt help to make wooden yokes for cattle. Yes? Simply a piece of wood that is shaped to fit over the shoulders of two cattle. And they can work together pulling the plough. And Jesus says, to know the rest I want to give you, you've got to come to me and you've got to take my yoke. In other words, you've got to be joined to me. It's not a temporary arrangement. It's not come today and go tomorrow. It's being joined permanently for life. And who is it who joins us to Jesus? The answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the executive of the Godhead who gets things done. This is one of the things he gets done. He joins us, unites us deeply to the Lord Jesus Christ and we take his yoke upon us and learn of him. Yoke is used in another way also. If we go back into the Old Testament once more to Isaiah chapter 10 you will remember if you know the Bible at all in the Old Testament that the Jewish people kept offending God, disobeying God and paying for it in love love He allowed them to suffer various different punishments to bring them to repent and come back to God and behave the way they should be. And at one point they were being controlled by the Assyrians, they had been captured by the Assyrians, they were under Assyrian domination and it was hurting and they were having a bad time. But here is the Lord speaking through Isaiah and saying, O oh my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians, because, and the following verses explain, God is saying, I'm going to deal with the Assyrians. I'm going to break their power. They will no longer be dominant in your life or in your nation. In that day, he says, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. It's as if these poor disobedient Jewish people were to the Assyrians, well literally they had to do what the Assyrians told them go where they sent them etc etc and the Lord said I'm going to bring that to an end their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck, the yoke will be broken, now if you have Bible handy and you're looking at it just now you'll be puzzled because NIV says because you have grown so fat and that doesn't really make any sense, it's a mistranslation however there was one the yoke of the broken, literally because of the oil, Aha! because of the oil, because of the anointing, what was the oil used for in scripture? It was of the anointing of the priests and the prophets and the kings, it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit who unites us, joins us to Jesus. So we have to be yoked to him as well as coming to him. But that's not all. Oh no, there's more. Jesus says, Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn. Learn from me. When a person who has not been a Christian comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ and enters into the Christian life, they are to use modern jargon on a steep learning curve. A steep learning curve. And if the new convert to Jesus doesn't accept that steep learning curve, they will not have a great time living the Christian life. There is no substitute for learning. I oh, thank God I went to a one teacher, one classroom school for the first, six years of my education and I learned an awful lot in that little room where I spent the first part of my educational career. But learning, you see, is part of life. We have to learn. Try to get through life without learning. No, it doesn't work. We've got to be willing to learn. And the Apostle Paul speaks about the importance of learning. And we learn that learning, spiritual learning, Christian learning, comes in a variety of ways. It comes through what's happening this morning as I seek to bring God's word to you and share it with you and help you to see what it's saying. But it also comes through hanging out, again using a modern expression I do know a few modern expressions um, it comes through hanging out with the right people hang out with the wrong people and you try to, try to live the Christian life and you'll be struggling if you hang out with people who have no time for Jesus oh, don't give me that talk, I don't believe in that stuff and their influence is just not good spiritually but if you hang out with Christians who really inspire you if you have some regular contact with a Christian you admire, and it really inspires you and say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. Aha! That's part of the learning process. And of course, Paul was not perfect, but he was a very spiritual man. And he says what we would hesitate to say, you and I. In Philippians 4 and 9, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or sin in me put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you and then he adds a couple of verses later on I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances and that surely has to be one of the hardest lessons for all of us a lesson of being contented to learn to be contented is really very precious and very important well, personal word here, I had a personal experience of learning just a few days ago. I thanked you earlier on for praying about my cataract op. But of course you were praying, I think, about something else, because the other Sunday when I was here, I told you my hearing aid had broken. And I have made since then not one trip, not two trips, but three trips to Stelphill Hospital. And the first two trips I thought, that girl doesn't know what she's doing. She's fiddling with my hearing aid and it's, it's still not right. Back it goes in again and I go home and it starts talking back to me, you know the stuff. starts chirping away and I don't want to hear that stuff. So I went back again for a third visit. Now the first two visits I had taken the hearing aid in my hand. Oh, so she didn't see it in my ear. And the third visit, it was in my ear. She said, Do you know what's wrong? You're wearing that hearing aid in the wrong position. Hey, wait a minute. I've had a hearing aid for 25 or 30 years, and long years ago, I think I learned, I hope I learned how to wear it in the right position, but over the years, I kind of forgot what I learned, and I've had three trips to Hill just to remind me that learning is rather important, and so the hearing aid, I'm glad to tell you, is alive and well and working in my ear right now, so be careful when you say to me, I'll hear it. I'm just saying that because it's serious this. If we stop learning what God wants to teach us, it's very difficult to keep in step with our Lord Jesus Christ. He's always moving on, and He wants us to get to know him better. He wants us to become more deeply and satisfyingly involved in the work of His church, etc., etc. And if we just dig our heels and say, "Oh, I think I've learned enough, I think I think I'll have a break." beware, you go downhill you cannot really stand still in the Christian life if you do not go on you're almost bound to slip back I was remembering this morning no less than four people, young people we had in the church in Govan and I remember the days when they were all in love with Jesus on fire for Jesus but not now they stopped learning they stopped obeying the teaching of the Word of God. They stopped feeding on the Word of God and staying close to Jesus. And now they're out in a spiritual wilderness. Sad, very sad. Don't do that. It's not worth it. Stay in touch with Jesus. Keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. Now, that's not the point one. I will give you rest. If you come to me, you take my yoke upon you. And if you learn from me, If we go over from chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel to chapter 16, we read of the occasion when our Lord Jesus put a question to the disciples. He said, Who do people say the Son of Man is? His title was the Son of Man. Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, Others Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And quick as a flash he put the question to them. He said, But who who do you say I am? What about you? one of the biggest questions we have to answer in life what do we say about Jesus and Simon Peter flashed back the answer you are the Messiah you are the Christ the Son of the living God and Jesus replied blessed are you Simon for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven and I'll build my church I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it Jesus said I'll give you rest come to me I'll give you rest. And he said, I'll build my church. I'll build you into the most wonderful family in the whole world. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some Christians who decide to be loners. And it's not God's plan, it's not God's way. And for most of them it doesn't work. We're not meant to be loners. We're meant to be built in securely and happily into the church, into the fellowship where Jesus is recognised as Lord. And this whole process, you see, begins by revelation. Our conversion to Christ begins with revelation. Peter had not worked this out for himself even though he was living with Jesus and travelling around with Jesus and hearing Jesus' teaching. He had not been told by another human being who Jesus was. Not exactly, anyway. And Jesus says, It's only because you have received revelation from my Father in heaven this word revelation is a very important Bible word, it means an uncovering maybe you pass if you pass the shop window that was always the blinds were down you wouldn't know what was on display and hey one day you come along and the blinds have been drawn pulled up and you see everything that's in the shop window you have received revelation the barrier has been removed the blindness has been removed And you can see all that can be seen. Revelation must be received. That's how it begins. We don't begin by speaking to God. He begins by speaking to us. He shows us something. He tells us something. He tells us something about ourselves. It is not very complimentary. That we have sinned against him and he's very upset about it. But it also tells us about Jesus. When we sent to die on the cross to be the saviour of the world Uh revelation needs to be received but then once we receive that revelation we're going to do something with it we're going to respond to it we've already seen it in terms of coming to Jesus but also it needs to be seen in terms of confessing Jesus because you see if we go over to Romans the letters of the Roman Christians we find Paul teaching all sorts of things there including this very important little strand of teaching where he says, writing to believers, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I believe in my heart, I believe in my mind, what I've been received. From God by revelation. In other words, I believe the facts. I believe the truth. I believe who Jesus is. And I may believe in Him in the sense of coming to Him as well, but it should never stop there. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe. And the confession is open and public. You see, Jesus is not interested in enlisting secret disciples no Christian is meant to be a secret disciple we don't prosper spiritually, we don't thrive spiritually, we don't mature spiritually if we seek to keep our Christian faith secret to ourselves, there must be confession declaring The people who may not be very happy to hear what we're saying it's one of the hardest things to do no Christians in a family and then one one of these family members becomes a Christian. Oh, how will the family react? How will mum and dad react if I go home and tell them I'll become a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they'll say, no, no, not another of these. Not everybody is pleased to hear the confession we want to make. Family members, workmates, etc. They may, may be laughter, there may be mockery, there may be persecution. But Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me or I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Revelation must be received, confession must be made. And according to Jesus, confession, uh, persecution, need not be feared. I, he said, will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the powers of darkness, the whole kingdom of Satan, will not overcome it. Hey, non-believers, many non-believers in this country of ours... Some respect the church. They see it does a bit of good work here and there and there. they like that. As long as they do some good works, they're happy. But others dismiss the church. They despise the church. They say it's an anachronism. It belongs to the 18th century. Haven't they the sense that they curl up and die and go away? No, we haven't. Because we're actually the one body in the whole universe which is invincible. Do you feel invincible this morning? Hey! How important is it to feel invincible? We've a nasty enemy out there who would like us to feel very much the opposite. Scared of him. What'll Satan do to me next? Well, oh, I better go and hide. I better not be too upfront in my Christian witness or Satan's liable to attack me somewhere or other. He'll get at me one way or another. Listen, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us more than conquer us through him who loved us there will be persecution the Bible tells us and warns us but John the Apostle writes 1 John 4, 4 greater is he who is in you and that's the Holy Spirit the living Christ than he who is in the world hmm. number one I will give you rest number two I will build my church and number three the most personal in a way of all the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, our Lord Jesus was giving to the disciples of his day their commission, their instructions, all about spreading the gospel throughout the earth, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them and so on. And then it ends with these words, and I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll give you rest. I'll build my church. And I will be with you I will be with you can you bear to go back to the book of Exodus again Exodus chapter 3 Moses at age 80 is being persuaded by the Lord to accept his instructions he says I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt now the Hebrew people were Pharaoh's slave labor force did he want to get rid of them? Of course he didn't want to get rid of them. He was furious at the prosperity of getting rid of them. And God said to Moses, I'm giving you a tough assignment. You're to go to Pharaoh, ruthless, brutal, leader of the people of Egypt. To bring my people out of Egypt and Moses begins to argue with God. It's not smart to argue with God, you know. You never win the argument. God said, "He," Moses said, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, I will be with you that was the one fact that would make all the difference and make the whole enterprise gloriously possible I will be with you oh and Moses goes on to say well you know I'm not so good at speaking and so on and so on and of course he's given air on his brother as a helper to be more of a spokesperson. I will be with you book of Judges Again, you see, we find a time in the story of the Jewish people in the Old Testament when they're at it again, they're disobeying God again, they've wandered off in their own direction, they're worshipping idolatrous objects and so on and so forth. And God, again, in his love for them and his mercy to them, is disciplining them through punishment. And their enemies are coming and they're attacking them and they're stealing their cattle, they're stealing their crops, they're making life a misery for God's people. There's a young man called Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the enemy so they won't come and steal it from him. And all of a sudden, the Lord showed up. Oh, we don't know quite how, but he did. And the Lord said to Gideon, who was frightened of the enemy, human enemies, the Lord greets him with these words The Lord is with you, mighty warrior but Sir Gideon replies if the Lord is with us why has all this happened to us where are all these wonders the Lord has abandoned us and the Lord turns to Gideon and says go, go, go in the strength you have and save Israel, am I not sending you and Gideon argues again with the Lord how can I save Israel, my clan is the weakest I am the least in my family and the Lord says I will be with you These words ought to be among the most precious words in Scripture to the Christian believer. I will be with you. Because you see, if he is not with us then we're very much on our own in the cruel, vicious world where the enemy is real, the devil is real His attacks upon human beings are real. It's He who drives people to do the most appalling cruel things that we read about in our papers and hear about in our news bulletins. The enemy is awfully opposed, bitterly opposed. Human beings in general, the Christians in particular. If God's not with us, we're in trouble. We cannot afford to be without the Lord for one moment of the day. Because you see, it is He alone who gives us one of the ingredients, perhaps the most important ingredient of all that we need to stand against our spiritual enemy who seeks to wreck our lives, who seeks to silence our witness. The one thing that we have against him is this, not the only thing, but Jesus said to these 70 70 disciples he sent out over and above the 12, when they came back elated and excited because they'd seen victories in Jesus' name, Jesus said to them, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. I've given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. These are among the most precious words of Jesus. And many Christians don't even know they're in the Bible. I remember speaking once at a meeting, a prayer meeting of believers, Baptist believers, would you believe it? And uh, the man who was leading the meeting, a very fine Christian, I was speaking from Luke 10 and speaking on that very subject of the authority the Christian has over the powers of darkness. And the leader of the meeting got up at the end and he said, oh, we've heard some strange things today, some interesting things today. It was all new to him, obviously, this strand of teaching. Listen, don't even try and live the Christian life without this awareness when we come to Jesus, we're young, we're immature, we're inexperienced we've got a lot of growing to do, we've got a lot of learning to do but Jesus gives us authority power is the ability to do something but authority is the right to do it and it's not power, it's not greater power we need against Satan it's authority And if you're struggling in the Christian life, I beg of you to take this seriously. When Jesus says, I've given you something, it's yours. But we've got to exercise it. We've got to exercise it. I know what it's like to have a pretty full-on attack from Satan trying to destroy me years ago. And if I didn't have authority, I might have been on this crap heap years ago. One more verse I want to give you. I'll give you rest. I'll build my church. I'll be with you. And a verse that I love to read again and again and again. John chapter twelve. Our Lord Jesus, near the end of his earthly life, he says this: I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He was anticipating the cross. He knew it was only a short time until he would be nailed to that cross bearing our sins in his body on the tree that you and I may be forgiven and saved from our sin and given eternal life. He knew it was about to happen but he prophesied he declared this prophetic word I when I am lifted up on the cross will draw all kinds of people, that's what it means all kinds of people, all types of people to myself there is a spiritual magnetism in the cross of Christ that is a way beyond every other spiritual magnetism. Jesus said, "When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me." And I've heard testimonies of people who told how they became Christians. And maybe it was their granny who told them about Jesus. Maybe their parents weren't believers. Maybe it was their granny that learned about Jesus from him from them and they couldn't get that name Jesus out of their heads and maybe years and years later they realised this Jesus was the person who loved them more than anybody else the person who died for their sins the only person who could change their life and make it really good and what it should be magnetism I will draw all people to me it's a kind of strange message this it's not one that I would normally give but it seems what the Lord wanted me to say this morning I'll give you rest, I'll build my church I'll be with you and I'll be working with you, I will draw all men to myself so you good folks here in Woodisburn, you're not on your own you're reaching out to the community to try and introduce other people to Jesus, he's working with you you're yoked to him you're yoked to him his Holy Spirit is at work in this community let's pray Father we thank you that you have so much to show us, to tell us, to give to us, make us ever more willing to receive and to respond in faith in obedience in commitment to seeking more and more fully what is your will for our lives. And like David, serving the purpose of God in our generation, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.